Welcome to Making Ships. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm joined by my good friend and my co-host, Nicholas Golner. Nick. Thank you for my full name. Your full name. I you, didn't you I didn't my put, mother. I didn't say the middle initial because I didn't know it. It's Joseph. <laughs> Is it? It is Joseph. I was okay. supposed to be born on Christmas. So okay. Nicholas for St. Nick, Joseph for Mary and Joseph. I never knew that about now, you. Now How long have we known each other? Knows. Yeah, the whole world knows now. <laughs> I'm excited. Good. I am too. I'm I am too. To be here. So you, you got a lot going on here. We do. We do. It's been a busy week so far and I'm I'm hyped and ready to go. But you, you know why I'm really particularly excited about this show? Because one of your favorite people is here? Yeah, th- that is one. Uh, actually, t- two of my favorite people are here, quite frankly. <laughs> but, you know, we're going to be talking about reducing setup times on the shop floor. And everyone knows, you know, the whole metalworking nation knows that I'm not a novice. I have been in this industry for a long time. And this has absolutely been the biggest painstaking problem that I've had to deal with mm-hmm. as a machine shop owner my entire career. It's always a problem with setup time. I don't know. I've tried to mitigate it myself in my own capacities when I was on the shop floor. I certainly think that with the group of people that we have today, that we can significantly help the metalworking nation. We can equip them, inspire them to do things just a little bit better tomorrow. Long setup times are why we're in business. We sell work holding. You do, yeah. So- if your spindle's not turning, you're not earning. If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Absolutely. And a lot of that comes down to setups. It really does. So in addition, these I've got I think I've got two of the best guys to talk about this. I've got Paul Van Meter, the co-founder of ProShop ERP, a software for machine shops, and I've got Ryan Carr. I happen to know him pretty well. He's my production manager at Car Machine. I think with my old school wisdom. Your sophisticated work-holding knowledge, Paul's knowledge of Pro Shop and what that can do, and Ryan's fresh perspective, I think this episode will certainly equip and inspire. Well, I hope so. But before we get to that and introduce these two, tell me what's going on at AME and Hennig. What's going on during COVID-19? Aren't aren't you tired of hearing about it? I, I am, and we actually just had our quarterly meeting at the new facility. Right. Which was really cool to be in. Yeah. I've talked about it a few times. We've got this big expansion. We do fabricated Wait, generator. You're in the new building? Well, Hennig's new building. Oh no, Hennig's in their new oh, building? Yeah. Oh yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. And it's like top notch, really fancy offices. And so we're kind of joking around because AME is the oldest of all of our companies. Right. For example, one of our people has like no wall on his cubicle, so we've made this cardboard wall. And oh, come on. <laughs> and so we're we're going through and getting the grand tour and everything's like glass walls and like whiteboards that you can write on on the right on the wall like super high end nice stuff. Super high tech. And Steve Schubert, who we've had on the show before, yeah. goes, "Looks like I'm going to have to get Kent a new piece of cardboard." <laughs> <laughs> and so we all had a nice laugh. But what's positive is we got our quarterly meeting out of the way. We're not using COVID as an excuse for anything. You can't. We're thinking differently than ever before. We're excited about 2021. So. Good. Likewise, things are things are doing well here too. And new machines. I, you know, we just ordered one a couple of weeks ago. And then you'll be out of space. We'll definitely be out of space. There's no way we could put another one. When machine. is the the target for the new move? Possession of the building, hopefully next week. 
And then I would say at least three months of reno after that. So we've got a ways to go, but we want to make sure it's really tight. Working with an architect, working with a guy doing the shop floor. There'll be more on that in the future. Just you won't the, have the to bring layout. a bunch of servers or anything with you, will you? We will not. We will not. <laughs> so it, it's all really good and working hard, and I like it. But as we typically do, we always talk about what's new and relevant in manufacturing news, and everyone's still talking about manufacturing's recovery. Everyone's got a different perspective, but at the end of the day, the numbers don't lie. The data doesn't lie, right? Yeah, and then the economists do the best they can with the numbers to try not to lie, but no one really knows what's going to happen. Nobody really does know what the... All they know is what's happened, past tense. Sure. The Census Bureau confirmed that July and August were the best two months for American durable good producers, excluding the civilian aerospace sector. No surprise there. Right. So we talk about that weekly. In CAR's weekly production meeting, we have a section of it that I try to talk to all all the people at CAR about. We talk about the economy. Mm -hmm. What does it mean? What kind of insights are we getting from the media? Which sectors are growing or shrinking? And Yes, exactly. Well, and we all know that aerospace is not doing well. Yeah. Ever since uh, those max 737s went down, it's just been a ghost town in that particular industry. However, what I read in this article is they are saying that there's going to be a resurgence in that industry, probably could start in quarter two, 2021, or maybe as late as quarter one, 2020. Okay. So that gives us a window. It does. It does. We'll feel it when it happens. One of our largest customers is one of the biggest names in aerospace manufacturing and they buy fixtures when they grow. And when they don't, they don't. (laughs) Do you know, I know who that company is and you don't have to say it, but do you know how affected they really are as far as their overall? Yes. That's, they're struggling right now. Would you say they're down like 50%? Yeah. They're furloughing quite a few people, quite a few people. But it's, you know, we always hear the next story of what's coming down the pipe. We're always crossing our fingers. It's really kind of hard to know. When it happens, we feel it. Yeah. They go on to say in this article that the weakness of the aircraft manufacturing industry since the pandemic began, airlines have canceled more than $41 billion of orders for new planes, engines, and other part. $41 billion, Nick. I mean, wow. with a B. That's a lot. This IH. S market boosted their forecast, though, for business investment in equipment for exports, lifting their overall U.S. GDP growth forecast for the fourth quarter by a half a percentage point. Third quarter. Third quarter. Yeah. Is that, yes, right, third right. quarter by a half a percentage point at an annual way. Equipment investment plans may have delayed by the pandemic rather than canceled. You know what all this reminds me of? What's that? The Boring Bar episode from Christine. It's not you, it's V. It is. Talking about, is it going to be a U-shaped recovery? Is it going to be a V-shaped recovery? And she really so you're looking at the graph. Did a bunch of research on like what creates a V, what creates a U, and they have all they have double U's. They have all these other. So what know. Nick is alluding to is that on our our show structure sheet, there's a graph here that's from the article that shows a V-shaped recovery, and that's what we all want. We want it to bounce back, right? Full well, force. it did. According to this graph, it really fell off first quarter end of first quarter 2020. And by now, it's literally back to pre-pandemic levels. That's awesome. Um, so it's really, it's really good news. This inventory drawdown, they're saying the reductions in manufacturers' inventories since the recent peak in April are worse 
than anything since the global financial crisis. The four-month change in inventories of durable goods, ex-civilian aircraft. So the inventories, how I'm reading this is they're not, people are not inventorying what they used to. They're running a little bit leaner. Mm -hmm. And it certainly is a sign. It's an insight as to how what manufacturers are doing. Well, hopefully as they start building up some more inventory, we'll start to see more orders. That's what we're hoping on too. However, we're not in the airline aerospace industry, so uh, things are good. It'll trickle down to us at some point. Yes. So we're about ready to begin the podcast, and uh, I'd like to welcome back two guests that have been on the show before. The first gentleman is... Paul Van Meter. He is the co-founder of ProShop ERP. And the second guy is my son, Ryan Carr. He is our operations manager here at Car Machine. Guys, welcome back Thank to you, Making Jim. Chips. Thank you, Nick. It's How good you to see you guys. Yeah, Good thanks for you. traveling to Chicago. It I should was... have said two of your favorite people because Paul and your son right. are here, not one of your Absolutely. <laughs> Traveled, saved. It, travel, yeah, masked up, one person per row. It was pretty, pretty, felt pretty safe. Good. In fact, I was on a webinar recently with Boeing and they talked about how the air circulation system in the planes are almost ideal for this. I mean, the, all, the whole cabin air is refreshed about every two minutes. It's all top to bottom. So it's actually pretty safe, safer than like the grocery store. Well, I know this is off topic, but as yeah. long as you mentioned it, if we would have thought back, think about all the flight attendants that are engaged with all the customers on these planes Pre before we even knew what was happening, mm-hmm. we never really saw an, epi- an epidemic proportion of flight attendants getting ill, right? So there's something about the space, the air inside that tube of mm-hmm. the aircraft that's doing so- that's cleaning it in some capacity. Well, you right? just myth busted because everyone says, "Well, you're locked in this can and you're with all these people." Yeah, no, the reality is different. Yeah. You know, there's HEPA filters; they have fresh air intake, about thirty percent of it all the time. So it's it's quite safe, and there's really almost no documented cases of people getting sick on an airplane. Very oh, very, is that very, right? Very, I very few. Very wow. few. My wife will be happy to hear that as we are traveling on Thursday. So I will reinforce that with her. But anyway, we didn't invite these two guys here to talk about COVID or airlines or anything else. Today, we're talking about the age-old issue of setup times on our CNC machines and even before CNC when we were running in bridge ports and, and conventional lays. You know, for years, I've been telling our prospects and customers that, especially in short run, that it's literally all set up. And if anybody is outside of our industry, maybe there's a buyer listening or a purchasing agent, and you're coming to one of us, a machine shop, and asking for a price on one, two, three, ten pieces. I mean, literally, I've used this verbiage before, and I'm saying, listen, for what you want me to do, it could literally take 10 hours to set up and program the job and it could only take 30 minutes to actually cut metal. Literally. Right, guys? I mean, am yeah, I right or absolutely. wrong? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. So people just don't understand that you've got to go through all these steps. You've got to pull tools. You've got to pull your setup. You've got to pull your vices, however you're going to, the work holding equipment. You've got to program the job. You've got to put all the tools in the tool holder. It's a painstaking process. However, hopefully today, by the end of this episode, we're going to have some tips and tricks how we can do this significantly faster. And I know Paul had said that fifty up to 50%. So I'm really anxious to hear that. 
So I'm going to go way back about 15 plus years ago when, when I was on that shop floor programming, setting, setting up and, and cutting metal. This is how I used to do it. Of course, I'd have to predetermine what machine is the best fit for the job, right? Depending on the size of the part, I, I couldn't put a part that was 35 inches long on a, on a VF2 or, or something smaller. I had to head the table capacity. So predetermine the machine tool that I was going to run, the best fit for the job. Then I would grab a roll-around cart. And I take the roll-around cart, I put down the print, go to the inspection area, I'd pull all the inspection gauges that I thought I would need, really at the lowest level, all the basics, a six-inch veneer, a one-inch mic, maybe a two-inch mic, a scale, a depth mic, a calculator, an edge finder, uh, shop towels, gauge pins, anything that I'm going to use at the machine so when I can, when I make that cut, I can go in and inspect it right away. I don't want to have to run back to the inspection room and pull out a micrometer or veneer to do it. Then I grab the material and then the work holding devices. In, in this case, at Car Machine and Tool, we use vices, or at least we did use vices 80, 90% of the time. Then review how I'm going to cut the material, pull all the tools, so drills, taps, spot drills, center drills, reamers, end mills for roughing, end mills for finishing, and I put it all on the cart. Then I roll the cart right over to the machine. I empty everything on the bench that's right there, lay it all out accordingly. At that time, we were programming right at the machine. That was the old school way of doing it. What used to get me, or still does, as a matter of fact, because I still see it in some cases in my shop, is somebody's over at their machine, and they walk across the shop to the inspection room, they grab a two to three inch mic. They walk all the way back to their CNC machines. They pick up the print. They look at the print. They're there for about 30 minutes, 45 minutes. They take a cut. They put down the print. They go back to the inspection room. They get a dial bore gauge. They take the dial bore gauge. That's just got to stop. I mean, we all know that, that the efficiency in that is, is not good. So I'm curious to see and Ryan, you're next. Mm -hmm. I want to hear how have things, because I'm not on the shop floor anymore. I don't know how dramatic things have changed in the last 15 years since I was out there. But why don't you share with us in the Metalworking Nation what the process is for starting a new job here now? Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of the main things that still happen in a day-to-day -day operation. So everything's pretty similar, but I think the main difference would be that the tasks that you described are just kind of rearranged and also, since we're growing, spread out between different people. So initially, we still do determine what kind of machine the job is going to go in before programming. So is, is it a milling job or is it a turning job? And then is it going to be a three-axis, a four-axis, a five-axis right. machine? There, boom, there's a big difference. We didn't have five-axis 15 years ago. So then once that's determined, we go ahead and program the job in Mastercam from start to finish. What percent of the jobs are we programming in Mastercam nowadays? 100%, I would oh, say. Oh, 100%. Mm -hmm. Okay. Unless it's an old repeat job that we already have, but then the programming aspect is kind of obsolete. But okay. usually it's reprogrammed and go from there. So that's why I want to say 100%. Okay, didn't know that. So how, how is the program in Mastercam brought to the, CN, the machine tool? So once it's programmed in Mastercam, we could generate the G-code, post it right to our ProShop folder, and all the operators out by the CNC's access this folder from our stations and upload it right to the machine control with USB. Right. We may want to tell people that are listening to this that we are using ProShop ERP. That's why Paul is here today. 
to facilitate the handling of all of our CNC programs. And that's it's it's on the cloud, right? Yeah, everything we do utilizes ProShop and gets uploaded directly to the cloud, which is accessible anywhere throughout our shop. Okay, so you're at your desk, mm-hmm. you're programming a Mastercam, you create the tool path, you create that program file, you upload it to ProShop, and then it's avail- It's sitting there waiting for the guys in the shop when you actually delegate that job to them? Yep, that's correct. Okay. So you have a, like, Computer at every station, mm-hmm. every workstation. That's well, yep. just about. Just I, about. I mean, we're we're working on it. Sometimes we get monitors in that don't work. So, <laughs> yeah, we we've to, had that problem. We got to deal with that. But yeah, that's the that's the initial goal. At least at every cell or every machine. So. Okay, gotcha. But yeah, once the program in Mastercam is programmed, from there we could take screenshots of the stock model and upload it to ProShop per operation to show the operator what it's going to look like when we cut it, what it's going to look like when it's set up. We also tell the operator what kind of vices or fixturing is going to be used in ProShop. Where is that data? In ProShop, there's operations. Every machining operation has a work holding section that you can identify what fixture number you're using, what tool, what vice, anything related to your needs for setup could be assigned there. So you're literally taking screenshots of all the steps in the setup and then it goes into like work instructions for the next time the job comes around? Absolutely. Everything's done on the front end of things, so the operator just has to read right through the web page and see what needs to get done. And he's got pictures. He's got pictures, he's got screenshots. Jim would like that. You don't even have to talk to him. No, that's the goal. Jim's a visual guy, right? You always say you don't read. You're like, give me pictures. I know, I know. I Seriously. Like- well, I think I think machinists typically are extremely visual people. And the only you know, thing that could be better for you, Jim, is like a <laughs> pop-up book that might like that would help me a lot. <laughs> yes. So go ahead. Yeah. So the goal is to upload as much information to ProShop to limit any kind of engagement or back and forth between the, the programmer and the setup guy. And then also there's a tool list generated from Mastercam that's supplied to the machinist to go gather his tools, set them up, touch them off in the machine. And after that, he's done that. He sets up all the appropriate setup materials inside the actual machine, proves out the program, and starts running the production. And starts from making there. ships. Yep, exactly. So really the only thing that I'm seeing that is a little... Well, obviously the, the big takeaways from what you just said are, well, first and foremost, 100% of our... Programs are generated from Mastercam. Yeah, and all the programming is done ahead of time, and the manufacturing planning is done ahead of time as well. Whereas you would kind of look at the print, grab your tools, think about it in your head, and then do all that on the machine itself. On the fly. On the fly. Yeah, exactly. So you wouldn't know how the part would actually turn out until it was actually done. But in Mastercam, you could see everything all the way through. Very interesting. Things have changed, I guess, quite a bit since quite that bit. time. But obviously, it's working out well. And the other big thing, too, is the, the fact that we're using ProShop and we can house all of that information without communicating to anybody else. Like Nick said, you're posting pictures of the setups and you've got a tool list and, and you're ready to go. It really does. Now, let me ask you this. Does everybody in our shop do all of that? or follow those work instructions accordingly? I would say for the most part they are. I mean, they're always giving me comments on what can be improved and what can't be improved. Mm-hmm. And there's ways in ProShop to utilize that as well. And we're, we're touching on a few things that we use in ProShop, but there are definitely more things that we could take time to implement a little bit more, which I'm excited to hear Paul talk about. 
That's interesting, Ryan, because I think it's a perfect segue. Nick, did you say you had well, something? So what I liked about that is, you know, with anything, usually when you first start, you're not doing it perfectly, right? So you're, you're doing all the programming, most of the programming majority, here. Majority, yeah. The majority. And then the operator is receiving all of those inputs from you in ProShop. He's got his work instructions, and he can give feedback to you about how you could improve it. Mm-hmm. So there's like this feedback loop for continuous improvement, and what's facilitating that is your ERP system. Yeah, and they, they vocally tell me what needs to be changed, and then I would tell them or instruct them to, hey, that's great, I like it, make sure you put it in the process development module or part of the work order, so next time we get the job and we're doing the uh, pre-processing checklist, it'll prompt us to say, hey, there's some information in your process development that needs to be addressed, and you can go and see what was recorded or documented wow. and fix it from there. Yeah, I want to hear about this process so development your turn, module. Paul. There's yeah. some, and there's I'm, some I'm anxious fancy. to hear too, and I bet Ryan is, because you're probably going to teach him something. Sure. Well, first of all, Ryan's been using some terms that are specific to ProShop, but I'll I'll share what they mean. And first of all, Jim, I wanted to kind of applaud you on your 15-year-old old-school method. Yeah. It's really good. Thank you. Thank you. Seriously, you're not just saying that because you like me? Okay. It it, it actually speaks to the core of some of the things that we do in ProShop. So let's just... Let's break it down. Let's break it down a little bit. So back when we ran our shop and we were building ProShop to help run our own company, you know, we kept dealing with long setup times, right? Someone would walk up to a machine, they'd have the material, then they'd be like, all right, let's go grab our tools, let's go grab some gauges, let's grab the print, whatever, right? So we just started sort of attacking this from a pretty logical method, right? And some of the principles of lean, you know, lean manufacturing, Mm -hmm. where we wanted, I mean, all setup is pretty much non-value added, right? Customers doesn't want to pay you for setup time. They want to pay you for cutting chips. And so the way that a machine shop makes money is having their spindles turning, right? You're not, you're not turning, you're not earning, you're not <laughs> yeah. making chips, you're not making money. So we want to minimize how much our spindles are down and maximize how much they're turning. So that means taking as much of the setup process and making it external to the machine as possible, right? You still away need away from, away the, from the spindle, okay. right? Doing it a day in advance, two days in advance, whatever your schedule is like, but doing things like you know, getting all your tools in the right holders with the right extension lengths, with the right pull studs, torqued, measured. You know, it uh, sounds like you guys are still, still touching off in the machines. With yeah, with all our probes, all our machines probes. have probes on. Yeah. Obviously, some companies are, have moved to offline presetting, so they're not even spending the time to do presetting in the machine. They're doing that all offline. But basically, what we've built, and we have this checklist, it's called a pre-processing checklist. It's sort of a configurable list that allows you to define all the things that need to happen before a job is ready to get set up on the machine. The goal of a machine setup really is to have the machinist walk up to that machine with everything as completely ready as possible and not leave the machine until they have a totally good part. Oh, God. Right? Not leave the machine. Because you know, like you described, you leave the machine, you go look for this, your buddy asks you to look at his job, you start talking to somebody by the water cooler, and no, pretty seriously. soon 20 no. minutes has passed. And All your machine, this distraction, right? Your machine is sitting idle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you can introduce more error when whenever oh yeah you're, you're not in the zone you forgot what you're doing because what i think about is like when you watch someone cook on like a cooking show or you know everything is exactly laid out and they have everything they need it's all pre-measured and then they just bake the cake and then when i try to do that i can't find one of the ingredients my thing's in the oven for way too long i burn the whole damn thing you know it's kind you of know, the same finding thing. the ingredients that's actually a, a super huge issue so many shops we talk to 
go to do a setup and they don't even realize they don't have the right tool in their shop. Oh my yeah. God. Yep. That's a huge thing. And they oh. overnight something in, the machine is sitting for 12 hours, or they tear it down and try to put a different job on. It just causes chaos. See, I'm glad I'm not part of that anymore, because that's the kind of stuff that keeps me awake at night. Right. Really, because and, it's just it's just sucking money. All I see is dollars. You know what I see? I actually see the clock, and I see all the time. I see the, the, the minute hand just going, 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 and then it turns into an hour. And every hour that goes by is money. Mm-hmm. Right. That's another 100 or 200 bucks that your machine could have been making money. Exactly. And, and it didn't. Yeah. So, so PP, we, PP checklist. Yes. PP checklist. It's a funny name. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that's on my estimates. <laughs> and I always <laughs> allocate time for that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure. Anyway, so we, we built this checklist and then we built all these modules within each operation, right? So each operation needs some more constructions. That's, that's the written description. That's sort of the setup notes. There's what we call sequence detail. That is the list of cutting tools you need and what they're going to be doing, right? And the idea with that is that if you uniquely specify each tool you need down to an EDP number, right? You know exactly what tool that is. You know what the helix, the corner radius, the the specific details that'll make that tool cut the way the programmer wants. Because when you leave it up to a machinist to go grab a half-inch end mill that's an inch and a half length of cut, how many different tools do you have that meet that general description? A half-inch end mill that's an inch and a half flute Yeah, you probably have Tons. 20 of them. You yep. probably have 20 different tools that meet that general description. That meet that general... Well, it's carbide versus high speed, but we don't run high speed anymore. And then it's it's high helix. It's How many sure. flutes? What flute type? Is it five flutes? Yeah, so radius. EDP, what is EDP number? EDP is basically a unique sort of tool ID number okay, that, gotcha. that, that matches the, the manufacturer's number. It's like okay. their, their, their number. Okay. It's like a UPC code. Okay. Like, right. you know, when you go to the totally grocery get store and they totally scan get it. it. Yeah, that's what it is. So in, in ProShop, we have a cutting tool module where you can define your cutting tools. We can even sort of get those from Mastercam when we're setting up the tool module so you have a consistent library. And then specific places for, for, for specifying extension length, holder, collets, all those things, so that it can be set up in advance so when you walk up to that machine, you have a tool caddy with the exact tools you need as the programmer specified, right? And that's one of the key points because tooling is immensely important in machining. Well, so you, you can't cut the metal yeah, you unless, you, right, unless, exactly. you the, unless you have the tools, right? And if, and if the machinist grabs something just because they have a, a general description and they just grab something random, that's going to not cut as well. That means their setup time is going to be longer because they're not getting the right tolerances or the right whatever surface finishes. And you're just not standard. We're trying to create like standard work. You're trying right? to absolutely Another create lean standard term. work. Yep, so, exactly right. So you can create standard work if everything is defined and totally organized. And Yeah. So they're pretty simple principles, but that idea of just making sure you have everything as ready to go as possible you know, and you don't need a fancy ERP to do this. You could do that with paper. You could do that with spreadsheets. But just the idea of being truly prepared with the goal of walking up to that machine and having your your first part off without having to leave the machine, that in and of itself will dramatically cut setup times. Interesting. And that 50% number, those are numbers that our clients are telling us, right? We didn't even really think about it that way because at ProCNC, where we built ProShop, we always did it this way, even from almost day one. So we didn't really have some before and afters to compare it to. So we, you know, we get ProShop into a client. They call us six months later, and they're like, "They're like, we can't believe it. Our setup times are cut in half." Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have an exact number, but I could tell after implementing ProShop and just the way 
we've done the few things. The changeover, it seems like, from job to job and making chips seems dramatically less from just because the majority of the setup is already done outside of the machine, like you're saying. So literally the one job comes off, the guy gets the program, puts his tools in the machine, and boom, picks up his part, he's making chips. So I'm curious, do you guys track at all how much you spend on like overnight shipping charges or Go driving, <laughs> go driving to grab a tool, and how that might have changed. Driving. That's a we, oh my god. We haven't tracked it, or, or at something. least I haven't. But I could tell you that I'm not overnighting as much as I used to, which is great because a lot of it's done beforehand and checking to see what tools we actually have. So we had I've had many clients tell me this now. Again, this was totally like bizarre to me when they told me this. You know, with their old ERP system, they had no way to actually track these things because they just don't have the features to do that. Mm-hmm. So after they put ProShop in, they analyzed their spend on like UPS shipping chart, overnight shipping and such. Because they, everything's really hot. We got to oh get yeah, it right Always away. reactive, always in firefighting mode. And they're spending more money on their UPS overnight shipping charges than ProShop cost them in total. So they've, oh, wow. they've, cut wow. those, they've cut those expenses down almost to zero and saved more than the ProShop Gosh. subscription. So that's just one factor. That's just one tiny variable. And full in, return on investment just from that one Just variable. from that one thing. Wow. The why enrich UPS when you can keep it in your own shop. And that's not even including the downtime of the machines. That's the really expensive part. Right. Right? Your quarter million dollar machine is exactly. sitting there not cutting chips for another. Waiting s- on an insert. Waiting on an insert. Yeah, <laughs> and that factor that you just mentioned is something that most companies probably don't even measure. What would the shipping have been if I didn't have to you know, expedite it overnight? Well, a lot of the shops don't have the technology to even track that. A couple of things. So when I think about UPS Red and all those overnight shipping costs, I think, well, the cost of that is significantly lower than if we're going to wait three days for that tool to get here, right? Sometimes that doesn't bother me too much. Again, we're a smaller shop. We don't have tons of UPS Red overnight shipping charges. So that's the way that I balance that in my head. But if you can be a little bit more proactive and eliminate it entirely from the first place. Oh, I I totally agree. But one thing you said that I wrote down here is it sounds like you're putting a lot of onus on the program or the guy that's setting it up, like the Ryan Carr Mm -hmm. person, because he's responsible for teeing all that up. Whereas it used to be the accountability was on the machinist, right? 15 years ago, when I was on that shop floor, I would be the one that would have to go get my tools, get my holders, get the micrometers, the veneers, the calipers, then go up and then I'd have to program myself. But now we're kind of like sharing responsibility. It seems like some of the accountability for the machinist has now transferred over directly to the programmer. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, everyone has their own role. Like between, even in larger companies, you see a planner, you see a programmer, you see a setup guy, and you see an operator. So a machinist, in a sense, isn't as what it used to be, at at least that car machine, where you would take the job from start to finish 100%. Now everything's kind of split up into individual roles. Right, Right. Well, let me ask you this. Let's say you had a different process or different kind of organization roles and accountabilities. Mm -hmm. Could the machinist do what the programmer was yeah, doing. Yeah, they sure like, could. Th- they could have the exact same login and he could share that kind of accountability for programming and, and defining the setup and then just do it for the next guy. And then if if you had a bunch of cross-trained people, that'd be a pretty effective way to run a company, right? Yeah, and the key, if they're doing it themselves, is just to do it in advance of that job going on the machine, sure. right? Get it done the day before, a few days before. Just really that mentality of being more proactive, more of a, a cohesive system that's keeping you out of that firefighting last minute, oh my gosh, we don't have everything we need mode. 
The problem is we don't have 10 Ryan cars at every company who can do all the different no. <laughs> steps of the process. No, that's for sure. You don't have to, you don't have to give him that much credit. He's going <laughs> to ask me for a raise. <laughs> Actually, he just bought hey, a new car. He just, of. he just bought a new car yesterday. So, uh, I, I guess, I guess he's doing pretty good. So well, thanks to pro shop. Yeah, exactly. That he can now measure. And so speaking of like measurable improvements. So what's interesting about like what you're describing setup time reduction. And then what I do is really set up time reduction in a lot of ways. We just come at it from a different angle. So we come at it from a fixturing angle. Yeah. And when I think about what the purpose of making chips is, it's to elevate our leadership. So I have to be transparent about like one of our weaknesses at our company. And we don't do a good enough job calculating ROI on exactly what they'll achieve if they switch to a modular setup or a hydraulic dedicated fixture, if it's a high production job or whatever. And I need to be teaming up with you guys because if people are using ProShop the right way and they had maybe like an old school fixturing setup where they have to put their vice in on a T-slot and indicate the vice oh and do God. all that kind of stuff. Oh my God. Well, a lot of people do that. Oh, still to this day. For you sure. know, and there's a lot of time in that. But if they don't have a way to track and like define the current state, then when we implement an improved work holding setup, it's harder for us to show like, okay, this is the ROI on that. You saved this much time. This is your machine rate. Therefore, look at this payback you've gotten. And so that's like on my personal to-do list is get better at calculating payback and ROI and all that. Sure. But I'm never going to be able to do it without companies that are operating with a more advanced philosophy where they're really tracking and gathering Yeah, data. and collecting the data to make the measurable right. calculations. Yeah. So when we'll people do, about that. <laughs> do setup jobs, they can track specifically into setup versus running or troubleshooting. And then you well, can... Well, sometimes com- that's difficult to do. Sometimes setup and yeah, troubleshooting to, to, are kind of mixed into yes, one or the other. Yes, And yeah. yeah, in our shop, we define troubleshooting really more as once you had your first good part off and you're in production. Okay. If you then run into problems, that's troubleshooting. That makes okay. sense, though. Right. But okay. if you're still trying to get your first good part off, that's part of setup. Right. But there is this feature called process development, which is basically designed for someone like a machinist to, I don't know if you've used it, Jim, in the estimating module, but it allows, in the case of a machinist and programmer, it allows the machinist to document some opportunities for improvement or some things that aren't quite dialed in right, and then that that can get assigned to the programmer. They can then assign like different potential solutions to that, right? Maybe if you're having problems with a fixture, you need to add a pin location to who knows what, or maybe you need to redo the fixture. And you can assign the different potential solutions, even to different people, to then go solve. No and you have, a, you have a written record in history that you can go back, look over months or years, over multiple runs of these jobs, and see what have we done to improve the process. And it's no longer sticky notes. It's no longer just verbal. In our shop, if we had a machinist that wanted to give feedback to the, to the programmer, even if they walked in the programming office, we'd say, go back out to your machine and put it into process development. Are we doing that? Yeah, we are a little bit. I think we need to do it a little bit better because obviously we're doing improvements over time. I just think it's a great way to have a running log of what's actually being changed over time. Right. Especially if we're starting to get a lot of repeat and we see a lot of those part numbers come up over and over and over and over exactly. again. Exactly, yeah. We all know that it, you know there's nothing like a repeater, right? Right. That's every, all machine shop owners want the repeat jobs, right? Yeah. That's and where you're going to make money. And we had lots of production repeat jobs at our shop and we have something where someone is chasing down a bad surface finish, Right. And they were like, well, let me, let's go look at process development. And they realized we had the same exact problem three years ago, right? And they did this little thing, and that helped solve the problem, wow. right? And, and I'm getting all sorts of ideas now thinking about like 
employee development, like developing your personnel. So you just laid out an example where the machinist could say, hey, I have a suggestion that I think will improve the process. He runs it through ProShop. You've got it documented. Who who suggested that improvement right. idea? It logs everything. And then later you can track, like, did it improve the process? And you can attribute back to that idea, that employee, hey, look how much you improved our value to our customer. Look how much you improved our profitability. And that could come up in his performance review. That's, oh, yeah. You, know, you can take good. this to a That's whole awesome. new level. That's, That's absolutely true. Too. Yeah. So, Paul, you mentioned this 50%, whatever that metric was, but I know I personally like success stories, and I know the Metalworking Nation likes success stories to hear them. Can you share one big success story that you heard over the last few years that you've been selling the ERP system that just, it's very memorable and you had an aha moment? Yeah, there's a ton of them. So, customer in Connecticut, actually, a medium-sized shop, probably about 15, 20 people. They were one of the ones who were spending just massive amounts of money on overnight shipping charges to the tune of about 30 grand a year. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of air that travel. Also, a caveat, that also included like expediting fees to their processes because they were behind schedule. Like this okay. just perpetually reactive mode. They went pretty full bore into all the different you know modules in ProShop they started putting all their tools in. So they they actually were able to eliminate the need to have a full-time purchasing agent by raw material and tooling. The planners, programmers could just do that right on their own, just in, on the fly. Sure. Their setup times got cut in about half. Their spindle downtime, they said they used to have about 10% of their machines always sitting idle because they were waiting on things. Okay. Right. If you have 10 machines out there, one of them is just sitting right now because we don't have a tool or we don't have a gauge, or we don't have the material. It's not going to make me smile. No, right. no, no. They almost completely eliminated all wow. their spindle downtime. Wow. They almost completely eliminated the 30 grand in expediting fees. Completely. Almost they recaptured completely. almost, almost the all of 30 that. grand. That wow. was more than ProShop cost them. Wow. Wow. And they increased their revenue by about 20% just by selling that spindle time. Same machines, same people. Well, same machinists, one less person in the office. So just huge ROI wow. all across the board. Great. And that's not uncommon. No. It really isn't. And, and you've seen this, what, 10, 20, 30 times or more in all of the years that you've been selling this product oh, and, I mean, and hearing feedback? Yeah, a couple hundred times. Yes. Wow. Wow, yes. that's fantastic. Well, that was a great episode, guys. I'd love to continue talking a little bit more, but we'll invite you back, Paul. And Look forward uh, to it. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, yeah, thanks Paul. for having me. Appreciate it. Nick, what did you think of that? Again, my my main takeaway is I need to be kind of pressing on on my customers and saying like, are you collecting all your data on your setups? That's a tough thing because machinists typically don't like to log a lot of information. Right. Like Paul had said during our interview, they put a lot of notes on post-it notes and stick it on the print or mm-hmm. actually write in the print. But we know, all know that we're in a paperless environment nowadays and we just don't save that stuff anymore. Sure. So it's kind of a, a cultural shift in old school machinists to start logging this information into a database rather than writing it down on a post-it note or on the back of the, a notebook or on the back of a print right. that could potentially but get lost. But I mean, lost. continuous improvement requires data collection. You, you have bet. to understand the current state. You have to set a target. And so, you know, if, I, if I'm going to say, hey, I think I can improve your operation, 
I need to go a step further and be like, hey, can we collect where you're at right now? How long is typically your setup time? And right. that's how you make a case study, right? Yeah. Like everything you just said, Paul, about that one example was based on real data. They yeah. actually calculated that improvement. You, you were able to show just on that one factor of like being reactive, instead of being reactive and being proactive, they were able to pay for pro shop. And that's just one factor of improvement. Yep. Without data, you wouldn't know. And, you know, to your point about marketing, we now have a written case study about them and we're about to publish a video about them. Awesome. Yeah. Them interviewing, saying exactly what they did. And numbers speak to manufacturing people. They do. You know? We're numbers people. Pro- we're prove it. We're prove it. Yeah. So, because at the end of the day, Nick, if you're not making chips, you are not making money. Bam. As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. We'll be right back.